You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, hope everyone's doing well out there. Today, we have a very special guest, and we're going to be talking about how to take care of yourself when you're taking care of others. We'll be talking about mental health. We'll be skipping over the pond to kink and holiday (laughs) kink and more. And you hear him already. He's a shining star. This is Carlos Cavazos, sexologist, therapist, and host of Ask Carlos on YouTube. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am like super excited, you guys, because Dr. Jess has been like a huge inspiration. So Mm. I'm just excited to be with like the sex goddess (laughs) (laughs) recording this. I'm so excited. I think I'm just more the sex expert goddess, not the sex goddess. There you go. One day I'm going to go back into the bedroom and be an actual sex goddess. There's always time. There's always time. Right. I got I got time. Now, so you're a therapist and am, yes. you actually come from a mental health background. You do a mm-hmm. ton of work in sexuality, which I want to get to, but your background is in mental health mm-hmm. and you're working with people with severe mental illness right. in Texas. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of the typical client? And I think you're working for an insurance company. Right. So, I mean, the typical clients are have a severe, um, severe mental illness. So like schizophrenia, bipolar, major depression, but they are towards the like almost like really difficult to function kind of level. So kind of borderline on high functioning to severe functioning, severely like mentally ill. So sometimes they'll be um They'll be able to have a conversation with you and other days they'll just be so paranoid and um, it makes it a little difficult to work with, but you just got to have a lot of patience when you are working with that population. And you were mentioning that you have a lot of patients, you're able to manage these caseloads and Mm -hmm. I'm in a different boat. I like to work with groups, Mm -hmm. but my strength isn't working in the one-on-one and I joke that, you know, maybe it has to do with my avoiding of intimate, intimate conversations. <laughs> it's just a personality thing. And you right. know what you're good at and you know where your strengths lie. I find it emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. How do you manage taking care of yourself emotionally when you're taking care of people with suicidal thoughts, with, you know, beheading fantasies, mm-hmm. with... with all of these disclosures day in, day out, how do you take care of Carlos? Well, I'm actually really, really lucky that just my natural like temperament is really, um, I'm kind of like really chill, but at the same time, like really like positive at the same time. So it's not necessarily something that I have to actively work for for myself because I know how to make that separation of this is something that they're going through and I need to just like be there for them, you know, because if I take too much of it on, I I won't be able to think clearly. I'll start crying with them. (laughs) Two people breaking, breaking down is not going to help anyone. So what I do, I just try to be there for that other person. And in terms of myself, like I think personally, I've already created that barrier where I know where work is and I know my life and I know my happiness. So, um, yeah, I personally don't really struggle with that, but I do know a lot of like other therapists and a lot of people in general just that that do struggle with that. And with that, I mean, I just always tell everyone, take care of yourself first. You know, you're not going to be able to 
um, take care of anyone else unless you're good and you're clear-headed. I have um, worked with a lot of people that are caregivers, you know? So that makes it really, really difficult for them because they have so much for on their own life, you know? Not only theirs, but then whoever they're taking care of. And I hear things like, Carlos, I, I need to get some rest. I haven't slept, but I feel guilty. I feel guilty if I get some rest. I'm like, well, what if they need me? And I'm like, well, if they need you and you have not gotten any rest, you know, you're not going to make much sense. You're not going to really know how to react. So it's going to, you're not going to be as effective as you would if you would get some rest and take care of yourself and live your own life, you know? Yeah, so it sounds like you're, you're saying you have to change the way you think and stop always trying to be the savior. Exactly. I think I, I, be I your really, own savior. Be, I love that. Be your own Captain Save-A-Ho. <laughs> well, I think that I bring this up because in relationships, oftentimes we fall into this caregiver mode, yes. whether it's with a parent or a child or a partner or mm-hmm. a friend. And oftentimes the, there is this, and I'm going to use it slightly out of the context in which it's usually used, this savior complex. And right. In relationships, we talk about the value of differentiation, being able to differentiate loving you and caring about you from taking on your problems. And this is something sometimes I'll run into. Mm -hmm. If if Brandon has a big problem at work, I will get worked up about it because I want to help him solve it. Right, right. And then can I really support him through it? No, because I'm having the same distressful symptoms that he is. Exactly, yeah. So you mentioned one strategy, which is to remind yourself that I want to take care of you. I I, I can't take care of you unless I take care of myself first. Is there anything else we can do to actually make sure we take care of ourselves first? Do you stop and take a deep breath? Do you write it down? How do you retool the way you think when you're so used to taking care of other people? One of the quickest um, little, like one of the best activities that I love telling people is so simple and it's something that everyone can start doing today. And it's um, it based off po- positive psychology. You know, it's kind of like a gratitude exercise mm-hmm. where you, it's so simple. You just write down five good things that happened to you today. It doesn't have to be mind blowing. It doesn't have to be like like extremely amazing. It could be something as simple as um, a cute little dog came up to me or I had a delicious cup of coffee or even like, you know, if that that bitch from work that you hate fell on her face and made you smile. (laughs) You know, you can use that, like have that on your list. Anything that made your day suck a little less, you know, just put it on the list because we have like a tendency to have like this tunnel vision where all we think about is, you know, we only look for things that are going wrong it's used to be something that we needed for our survival you know we need to be like hyper vigilant and see what's going on but we still have that even though we probably don't need it as much you know so we're not living in the wild we're right not be eaten by the saber-tooth cat exactly so we only notice like the horrible driver that cut you off and like um, honked at you you don't remember like the nice lady that waved at you yeah. you only think about those things so when you're in, in a relationship or just in life in general, you know, when you have all these people that need so much from you and you're f- taking their problems on as well, it can be really like magnified. Not only are you dealing with like that tunnel vision where you're only seeing things that are going wrong, but now you also have everything that's going wrong with them. So this this little trick will kind of like rewire your brain to start looking for the positives. If you're gonna look for something, you're gonna find it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if someone is like, Carlos, I had such a bad day, everything was so horrible, my life is miserable. I'm like, well, 
did five good things happen to you today? And yeah, and I'll force them. I'll, I'm like, I'll wait the whole hour with you until you <laughs> list five things. And they're like, oh, they do it. And they're like, well, I guess my day wasn't as bad. So you get to have more of a balance, which is really important. So that's one tip. I love that. That's a way to mm-hmm. combat negative filtering. Yes, yes. I love that you brought up the road rage because you live in Austin. And yes. road rage is a thing. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, it's in, real. In Toronto, we've got road rage. We've even got pedestrian rage and cyclist rage. We've got it all. And it's interesting because you do come home and tell the story about some jerk who cut you off. Right. Or, but what about the 2,000 cars who didn't do that? Exactly, exactly. So for those of us who kind of like numbers and we like the data, if I say the drive here was so hard because three cars cut me off, it's statistically inaccurate because 2,000 cars right. that I drove on the road with, or 200 or whatever it may be, did not. So mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, insignificant, not even 1%. Right. That was bad, yet I'm saying what a terrible drive here. Isn't that interesting? Exactly. And what I really like about this exercise is that done over time, you start rewiring your brain to seek out positives. It's if it was something that you just weren't doing before, it's like your mind will be blown at all the positive experiences that are around you. So you start becoming going from more of like a problem focused mentality where you're only focusing on everything that's going wrong and you slowly start shifting to more of like a solution focus where it's like you know you start problem solving in ways that you just didn't have the capacity to do before i love the way you talk about this because you're talking about a number of clinical terms like mm-hmm. solution focused therapy right. negative <laughs> right. but you're doing it in a way that reminds all of us that yes that you you know we can all benefit from a therapist but you can also be your own therapist if you go to therapy and learn these tools mm-hmm. the goals the goal is for you to move on it's not to keep you on our couch for years and years so i, I really appreciate that now you can be your own therapist but <laughs> but you know if you have a, a mental health issue if you're really struggling with something if you're dealing with distress obviously see a licensed professional and of course you cannot be your friend's therapist what, what do you think of that people will always say like oh my friend is my therapist I mean, honestly, I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> because, I mean, I'm someone's friend and I'm a therapist. And even then, you know, you're just not effective because, like, people will listen to someone that they don't know a lot more than they will listen to, like, the people close to you. That's why, like, when people are in abusive relationships, like, everyone around them is telling them, you know, like, this is bad for you, you need to get out, but they just won't listen to them. And they, they talk to me, like a therapist or someone else. And I don't know, they're, they're, they just think about it differently. So they're able to, um, you know, consider alternatives much better than with a friend, you know, because with a friend, it's like, oh, you're just saying that and stuff like that. So and sometimes we are just saying, yeah, and so I think it's important that your friends are sources of love and support, but maybe not professional help. Right, because you always have to remember that your friends always want to immediately make you feel better. And sometimes uh, there's a detriment to that because they're almost being just kind of like, yes, people. They just want you to feel better. And a therapist will make you take a hard look at your actions and give you some accountability and not sugarcoat things for you the way that a friend would. Ah, that's, a, that's an important reminder. Now, do you run into your friends treating you? like their therapist because you are a licensed therapist Mm -hmm. then how do you deal with that um that used to happen a lot in the past and uh, i mean i guess i'll just go with it a little bit you know i'll give them any like blanket tips that i could that i would give to anyone like i'm giving here but not specific 
Exactly, exactly. Because it's like, you don't want to be with your friends and you if you're going to be their therapist, sometimes you're going to be like a bad person in their eyes, you know? And, and I don't want to do that. I want to be their friend. I don't want to be the one telling them like, you know, putting a mirror to their face. Yeah. <laughs> Right, that's that's a, my job as a friend is to support someone unconditionally and be there for them, not to fix their life. Mm-hmm. But is there a point at which you kind of have to, not you as a therapist, but you need to stand up to your friends and hold a mirror up to them? Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think if your friends are maybe going down the wrong path and you can be like, hey, listen, you know, I always use the sandwich approach, you know, like always start with something positive and then give your feedback and then like end with something positive. So it's like like on an employee. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, my God, you know, I care about you so much and I love how you're always so like bright and wonderful and cheery. However, I've noticed that this relationship has made you into like this big grouch. And uh, I don't know, it's not a good look for you. (laughs) I I appreciate that sandwich approach. When Mm -hmm. you start with the positive, share the honest feedback, which may not be shiny, and then end on a positive. You know, I really care about you and that's why I'm bringing it up. Now, you brought something up that I I definitely want to talk about. You said on that list of five good things (laughs) that happened to me, Maybe somebody I hated at work fell right. on their face. And so we're, we're thinking of this concept of schadenfreude. Mm-hmm. So taking pleasure in someone else's misfortune. Mm-hmm. And obviously, on the whole, that's not how a little you want to live your life. <laughs> is, is there a small degree which is normative? Um, and if you find that you're experiencing this too often, what you can you do? Where you know, you're know you not really rooting for other people. And, mm-hmm. and you're, you're happier in life when you're rooting for other yes, people. Yes, agreed, agreed. How do we address that? If, if I'm kind of, you know, if you find that maybe you are taking a little bit of pleasure in someone else's misfortune, how do you catch yourself and nip that in the butt? Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because when I when I do notice that people are using things like that more in their list, like if it's, I'll be like, you know, you can have one, one out of five. <laughs> Just have some balance. But at the end of the day, you know, the whole exercise is to be more positive. So if at any point you start kind of going back and you're twisting things to where all the negatives suddenly are positives, Mm -hmm. then that's just not going to work. You're just doing the same thing in, you know, in a different hairstyle. (laughs) And it's easy to get into the rut of being critical. Yeah. Where criticism is your default. And, you know, there are families where we're raised with that as a norm or cultures where that tends to be something we focus on. And I do find if I find myself being critical of people, especially if it's more than one person, you know, maybe I'm having one conversation about something, I have to catch myself and and say, well, here's the common denominator here, Mm -hmm. and it's me. Right, right. I'm the one who's putting a negative spin on this. If I want to find something wrong with someone, you can always find something that you don't like. But if we go back to what are all the things that I appreciate, even if I don't overall love this person, because you don't have to love everyone. Mm -mm. You don't have to like everyone. And I sure don't. (laughs) (laughs) But they'll never know it, you know, because you always have to be like respectful and positive. If you treat people with like positivity and respect, you will get that back. Now let's let's move to the fun stuff. I, I really appreciate those tools and I wanted to get some tools around sex because yes, you are a counselor who works mm-hmm. in mental health, 
but you also work in sexuality. Yes. You have your TV uh, series. <laughs> yeah, I'm on YouTube. I um, educate people on kinks and fetishes. I answer people's questions live um, on Fridays. And I even try some of the kinks and fetishes out myself. So instead of just like talking, you can only learn so much, you know, through books and through workshops. Sometimes you got to get that needle and put it in your own skin. Exactly. Right? So that's been a lot of fun to dabble in things that are out of my comfort zone and kind of like report from and from a perspective of someone that's not necessarily into these things but like what it would feel like and also kind of put my my head in their shoes of like well why would they like this what about this is so attractive or can i find this sexy <laughs> Don't, don't you find that you discover you like things through your work? Last yeah. night I was mm -hmm. with a number of professionals, so I was teaching a class on the business of sex. And one of the questions came up and somebody asked, how does working in this field affect your own sex life, your own relationship? And of course it affects my own life, right. mostly for the better. Sometimes it can be a bit of a drain, but overwhelmingly for the better because I discover things I never would have mm -hmm. discovered. Don't you love that? I do. So what through your work, through your research, through your YouTubing, what is the most surprising thing you've discovered about your own sexuality? About myself? And you're not in sessions, so you can share. <laughs> I'm not a paying client. <laughs> I did this video where I... I examined the wet and messy kink and fetish. Wet and messy. Wet and messy or like splashing. So it's when people just love to have like themselves covered in all sorts of substances. It can be like, like it's usually food or anything like slimy or, you know, just having that texture all over yourself. They might like pour baked beans. They have baked bean sex. I reacted to wet and messy porn on the channel and I just went for anything that seemed like the most out there and they're like baked bean sex is a is a big thing so uh, that, that was like one thing that i was like oh okay that's different <laughs> is that a texan thing y'all no i mean maybe maybe we do have like good beans here so <laughs> yeah but one like um hang on how many cans of beans did you pour over your body well i didn't do the bean thing i watched it oh, what yeah. did you splash with i did cake sitting oh. yeah which is almost like a thing within itself so a lot of people are into that what and where you sit on a cake, you know? <laughs> so, sometimes in sex, it's so straightforward, but people are like, well, what is that? Right, 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 right. I've, seen, on a I've cake. seen live cake sitting. I was at NSFW, which mm -hmm. is a really cool, I would say it's kind of like a sex and experiential club that's more I love depth. that, yeah. Yeah, young folks and millennials in New York City. And there was a big performance after my session with a famous cake sitter. I think I know who you're talking oh, about. Do you know their name? Uh, I don't, but I watched a lot of her videos. She's in New York. Like, that's what she does. She's like a professional cake sitter, and she will make the most elaborate cakes and sit on them. I was like, I'm like in the wrong profession. Right? <laughs> so for my birthday, I was like, well, this kind of seems like a perfect time to explore this. So I ended up making a penis cake on camera. <laughs> I made this like penis cake. I decorated it, and then at the end, I I sat on it, and I ended up actually like really liking it. I was like, oh, this is. I can see how um, people can be into this. You know, like the the feeling, the texture, and then like my butt was so soft afterwards. <laughs> Probably smelled amazing. Sweet, my butt. Has exactly. Never been tastier. <laughs> yeah, I'm like too bad my boyfriend was asleep because it was like four in the morning. <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel as though if I made a cake sitting video, Brandon would stay awake till any hour to be a part of it. I don't think he would. I doubt he would find it erotic, but I might be surprised. You might be surprised. You never know until you try. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. I, need, I need to be. You have to be open. Some cake. <laughs> I love, I love it. it. Yeah, oh, that's really decorate cool. it yourself. You know, make it exactly the cake of your dreams. <laughs> So you learned that you liked that. In terms of really pushing your boundary, have you explored a kink that mm-hmm. made you uncomfortable and you did it for professional and personal reasons because there's always crossover? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so one, someone had asked me, I think it was like during one of my live shows or through Reddit, someone had asked me at some point, like, what is like, the kink or fetish that I find, you know, the weirdest? So I had to explain. I'm like, well, I'm at a point right now where I just don't think anything is weird. But one of the things that I still don't fully understand is like diaper lovers, you know, like that diaper, adult baby diaper fetish. So um, I ended up getting a lot of people from the ABDL, adult baby diaper lover community, who sent me messages being like, well, we'll point you in the right direction. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. But then I was like, you know what? Anytime that I'm too nervous or think something is too much, that means that I should do it. So I ended up ordering some diapers. I made myself a little space. I got in them. I didn't use them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't use them, but it was like one of those things where I was like, okay, this is really just something that I personally would never do. And it's just so weird, you know, being on camera on YouTube for the world in a diaper. Like, <laughs> that was definitely something that I was like, okay, so I'm really doing this. I love that in this field, even when you're really experienced and you're sharing expertise, you're still learning. And when we talk about fetishes, mm-hmm. like adult baby diaper lovers, Mm -hmm. I think people sometimes have this tendency to see folks as the other. Like, I'm not like that. I'm not into that. But when you look at any fetish or fantasy, what we don't often realize is that there is probably a piece of that theme that appeals to us. So when I think, for example, about the desire to be loved, the Mm -hmm. desire to be cared for, the desire to be coddled, to be even swaddled, Mm -hmm. I we we all experience that desire universally. I think about myself physically. I can't sleep without some sort of weight mm-hmm. on top of me. So not Brandon, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, a weighted blanket I sleep with at home. And when I travel and I'm on the road and I don't have my weighted blanket, I sleep with heavy pillows. And I don't really feel physically at ease and safe in bed until I have some sort of weight on me. Right, yeah, and that helps with anxiety too. Like those blankets, a lot of people use those for anxiety. So um, yeah, just think of if something like a blanket, you know, weighing down on you is gonna be helping you when you're anxious. Just imagine what it's like to have someone like take care of you. You know, just put yourself in a different perspective and be like, well, how, you know, what about this particular kink or fetish is alluring to them? And, you know, is there a way that I can incorporate that into my life? Right. And if you find something is making you uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or setting you off. You probably love it. Exactly. (laughs) There's probably a component in there that you're perhaps Mm -hmm. denying yourself Mm -hmm. or you have a history of repression from. Right. So if you do find yourself feeling feeling a little bit judgmental, that's okay. It happens yeah. to all of us. Really ask yourself, what is it that either intimidates me or actually appeals to me about Right. This? Why am I so upset? <laughs> yes. Now, is there a fetish or kink that perhaps pushed you in a way that made you realize that maybe it's not something you could work with? Because we all have our limits as mm-hmm. professionals. Um, and, oh, well, for myself... 
I can't I can't really say that there is. Okay. You know, I'm just so open to trying different things. I mean, sure, there'll be some acts that I'll probably just be like, you know what, that's not for me. But that's because I already maybe have thought about it or have really processed, processed it and thought this is not something that's just going to work out for me. But if it's anything that I haven't uh, or something that, you know, like you said, kind of scares me a little bit, I will want to venture into that <laughs> and be like, okay, let me just go balls deep and find out how it goes. Right. And, and do the <laughs> internal work to figure that out exactly you have a partner I do yeah Uh, and so how does your partner respond when you say okay so tonight I'm going to be dressing up like a baby and this is something new for me or tonight I'm going to be sploshing on Mm -hmm. a cake uh, he thinks it's hilarious you know he's like very more of like a serious type so he just puts up with my shenanigans he'll like he'll just <laughs> laugh and yeah but he won't um he won't go there with me okay. you know he'll like let me do my own thing which is really really good you know I think everyone needs to have their own independent lives you know you should be um, standing up like the best relationships are when two people are able to just like stand on their own two feet and sometimes you know in some relationships we get into those patterns where we're constantly having to like lift the other person up and it just creates this dynamic where it's like all this back and forth like eventually like the foundation and the structure of the relationship will collapse under all the pressure you know so I think it's really important to find a way to do your own thing you know like if just because your partner isn't going to engage in a particular kink or fetish that doesn't mean that you can't engage with it like yourself you know Mm -hmm. now that's interesting because yesterday in the clinical training we were talking about independence Mm -hmm. versus interdependence versus codependence and because these desires are ingrained from a fairly young age and they're reinforced you know by your own experience as well as cultural expectations Mm -hmm. we tend to personalize and generalize that our own needs must be what everybody needs exactly yeah let's say i need a greater degree of independence I might project that on other people and say, oh, no, 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 to have a healthy relationship, you need this much independence. Mm -hmm. Maybe people want a little bit more interdependence. They're going to say, this is what we need. And so there is this trap we fall into of assuming that the way we do things is universally applicable. Right, yeah. So true. How do you manage when a couple, for example, has one partner who requires more independence for their own fulfillment and the other you know, is a little bit less independent, is a little more interdependent. And maybe we could define those terms of Mm -hmm. independence, interdependence, and codependency. I would always encourage the person with that's a little bit more codependent in the relationship to um, have a look inside of what what exactly what are they so worried about you know what is it that they're scared about are they scared of their partner cheating are they scared that you know their part they'll lose their partner I've heard some people that are worried that if their partner goes out like their partner might die while they're out you know so they get that anxiety of like oh I just don't want you to go if you go like I don't know what's going to happen so to really kind of examine why it is is that you're so nervous to let your partner go have a crazy night out with their friends or even just go to the grocery store without you and and then start kind of working on that because a lot of the times you know you don't want to fall into the trap of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're so worried that your your partner's going to cheat on you that you kind of like drive them to cheat well you you've connected codependence and fear so what does it mean to be codependent and are we codependent to some degree in every relationship I think I think yes I think we are I mean, by nature in a relationship, you know, it's all about like giving and taking. So there's something that you need that you're going to get from that other person. So you are depending on that to get that need met from that other person. So, yes, there is that, you know, 
that dependency. But in terms of where it's like, oh my God, I just can't do anything without this person. You know, like those friends that you have that once they have a boyfriend, you never see them alone again. Like that's that's probably not the healthiest thing. <laughs> and what does it mean to be codependent? Mm-hmm. I think what it means to be codependent, well, it depends. I think there's like a healthy way to be codependent, like we just talked about. And then there's that unhealthy way to be codependent where you, it's fear-based, ah. you know? Like you're just constantly worrying and you're constantly um, freaking out that you're going to lose your partner or like I said, that they'll cheat on you. And then you start acting in ways that start becoming like irritating to your partner and like that amazing fun like passionate spark that they had with you is suddenly like oh my god this is just too much you're like too dependent on me you know like give me a break (laughs) feel smothering so yeah i think in that balance in between is the interdependence where you have some degree of independence Mm -hmm. and some degree of of counting on one another exactly yeah yeah. And, and knowing that your degree of dependence on your partner may be different than theirs and the way you express your support might be different. You exactly. don't have to be exactly the same. Right, yeah. Right? I always have people do interviews in the early stages of the relationship even just to talk about time. Mm-hmm. How much time do you want to spend together? How much time do you need to allocate for work? How much time do you want to allocate for friends? And what does spending quality time actually look like to you? right. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I really love that um, when couples, and that actually brings me up to one, one of the tips that I had for like a holiday kinks is constantly checking in with each other on what are those needs that you have, you know, what, what is it that you've liked? And, um, in particular with this activity, you know, like in terms of like making, making the holidays a little kinky and sexy, I thought of this great activity called like the naughty and the nice list. Okay. Uh, yeah. So not naughty or nice, you okay. know, it's not one or the other. <laughs> It's a naughty and nice. So what I would essentially want you guys to do is to, you know, like make a really like hot, sexy um, dinner, maybe light some candles, get it all romantic, get yourself in the holiday spirit. (laughs) And then sit together, you know, like pop open that bottle of wine or that bottle you've been, that special bottle you've been saving for a special moment. And you're going to make a list for each other. You're going to put down like, you know, the, the nice list in which you will list everything that that person, all of the nice things that that person has done for you throughout the year. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what I really like about that is that um, not only are you showing your appreciation, but by doing that, you're also like positively reinforcing that behavior, whatever it is that they that you like that they did. And by like reinforcing that behavior, you'll increase the likelihood of them repeating that behavior again. And same thing with the, the naughty list. And by naughty, it's not like, you know, things that you did bad in the relationship (laughs) over the last year. (laughs) It's more of like all those hot, sexy moments that you liked throughout the year Mm. where you get to like reflect back and it's almost kind of like its own little foreplay, you know? So you start thinking, you start like listing things like, you know... Um, I really liked the way you milked my prostate when you pegged me that night. It gave me the best orgasm, and I would love for that to happen again. I haven't stopped thinking about that. Or I really love the way you went down on me at the airport parking lot, you know? (laughs) 
<laughs> so you get in a place where you're able to see what that partner has liked over the past year, you know, what needs that you have been meeting that maybe you didn't even know that they were meeting. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, you kind of get into like this hot little sexy intimate moment that you can use to get your like Christmas week on, you know? <laughs> so what if you're in a place where it hasn't been the sexiest year mm-hmm. um, and you're having trouble coming up with those memories, either either because you don't remember specifically or it hasn't been, you know, the most memorable time sexually, could you look forward and instead make your naughty list I love like that. Try. I love that. Yeah. I, I think that's a great idea. You know, like you make your list, however it is, you, you want to make it to where one, you know, you try to find that appreciation, but also like an aspirational list because at the same time, you know, when you're like thinking of things that you've enjoyed, it's because you want them to happen again. Yeah. So if it's something that hasn't happened on your naughty list, you can think of like, you know, when I saw you wearing that outfit, it made me think that I would really love for us to do this in the future. Mm-hmm. That can be part of your naughty list. Yeah, that, that's a great tool. Mm-hmm. And then people can always adapt these tools to suit their own needs. Like we never, I always worry when I give somebody something to do that it's going to be an added layer of mm-hmm. pressure. And I also find that people are like, oh, do I have to do the work? And the reality is, yeah, you have right, to put yeah, in the yeah, yeah, You got to do it. <laughs> you can't complain. I always say you can you can make excuses or you can make change and you can't really have both. You can't have Exactly. You have excuses. to want to improve your sex life. You have to want to improve communication. You have to want to like be attractive for your partner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now you know you've given so many tools i'm going to ask for one more before we go coming into the holidays yeah we've got the kinky play we've got mm-hmm. the naughty and nice list there's so many things that you can do in the holidays <laughs> by the way you know aside like from just uh, doing the whole holiday movie netflix and chill or disney and thrust thing you disney can and thrust. disney and thrust disney plus and thrust you trying to <laughs> Yeah, you can incorporate all these like little kinks and fetishes into into your sex and the holidays. Like one thing that I would think aside from the obvious, you know, watching Christmas themed porn, you can make your own Christmas themed porn. It's like the second best holiday for role play aside from Halloween, you know, especially if you got like Santafilia. Can you please explain what Santafilia is? Santafilia is is where you just get turned on by Santa Claus. You know, so either you can have your partner dress up as Santa Claus or Mrs. Claus and have them come down your chimney, or you can dress up as Santa Claus and come down their chimney, you know, like whatever. (laughs) And then the elf. The elf, yeah, you know, you can definitely do the elf thing. Um, Could we do a sex toy game where it's elf on the shelf, which is some kid's game where the elf moves every night and they have to behave. Could we do that with sex toys where we move the sex toy every night or something like that? Yeah, you know, you can have the candy cane dildos or you can incorporate impact play if that's something that you're into by bending over Santa's lap and getting that spanking or that candy caning you deserve for being a naughty girl all year, you know. I love it. With sex toys too. Like, I know you can do um, also lube, like flavored lube, like peppermint, gingerbread. Astroglide has like a strawberry one that is really popular. Everyone loves that. And in terms of role play, I've had a lot of people who are into the cuckold right now. Oh, can we talk really briefly about what the cuckold is? Yes. So essentially, the cuckold is where um, typically a man or, you know, just anyone who identifies as a male will get off to the thought of having their partner be pleased by someone else, usually someone who's more successful or someone with a bigger cock, you know, and while they watch helplessly. So what I thought would be like a fun way to add like a little Christmas twist to that would be to 
role play to where you're like a, a helpless Santa while watching Mrs. Santa get banged by like Krampus, oh you my, know? Oh my I, I don't know. I feel like if anyone out there still believes in Santa Claus, we're in some big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also one thing that I got really um, shocked in last year was the amount of hierophilia that is out there, which is when people are um, turned on by like things that are religious. Oh. So if you're if you got a little bit of that, or you're feeling a little blasphemous, uh, Divine Intervention sells this amazing like baby Jesus butt plug. <laughs> what is Divine? intervention it's like um it's a it's a sex toy shop that is geared towards the, you know that religious kink oh. so yeah there's a baby jesus butt plug and i thought you know for christmas eve you can pop it into your lover and at midnight pop it out <laughs> this, this is going to be a busy holiday season so i, I yes. want to close by asking you uh, aside from the fun stuff and the kink and you know the the celebratory <laughs> sex sex and, and all love. the fun stuff in the air how do you take care of your your mental health over the holidays what mm-hmm. are you know some things you can set an intention to do right now well immediately set those boundaries you know set those boundaries know especially because we're going to be visiting family you know we're going to be visiting family maybe um, your partner's family that you don't get along with so you need to like know exactly what um, your boundaries are and communicate that with your partner so if something Something happens while you're out and about, you know, you've already have a protocol for that. And it won't be like, oh my God, I was expecting them to stand up for me, mm. but they didn't. It's like, well, you didn't talk about that. You know, they're not psychic. They're not going to know about that. And another thing is to check in with yourself of how am I doing this week? Am I content with my life right now? Mm-hmm. And most importantly, are there any regrets that I have? Mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of clients at this point. And the one thing that's consistently that I have to work on is that feeling of regret, you know, Mm -hmm. that like I didn't do this or I didn't do that or I feel like I missed out on that that FOMO, that fear of missing out. And uh, so if there are any regrets that you've had, you know, at the end of the week, what is it that you can do moving forward to get that need met? Mm -hmm. And that'll just make you like a healthier person and you'll be able to like put up with all the drama that that comes out with the holidays. And like I said, you know, just communicating with your partner about... um, how you want to handle certain situations that yeah. happen during the holidays is going to be so helpful to avoid fights and uh, yeah, stuff like that. and how they can support you because inevitably stuff will come up and right. you want to be specific about your needs there's so much stuff here hopefully you can focus <laughs> on the fun and kink this holiday season but I think there are some really useful tools that last throughout the year regardless of you know your gender identity regardless of sexual orientation and regardless of your relationship status whether mm-hmm. you're single partnered in a triad consensually non-monogamous or monogamous so exactly thank you so much for being here i'm sure everybody is going to check out your youtube channel Mm -hmm. and follow along we're going to post all those links so very much appreciate it thank you so much it's been a pleasure i'm obsessed with you (laughs) (laughs) so i'm so excited to be here and thank you all for having me awesome so a big thank you to desire resorts for their ongoing support of this podcast make sure you check them out at desire experience folks it's been a good one wherever you're at i hope it's a really happy day (laughs) bye you're listening to the sex with dr jess podcast improve your sex life improve your life